Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you. Good to see you. Amen. You're learning, right? You're standing right back. <laughs> we do stand around here as our custom for the reading of God's Word. And uh, you guys are ready, and I'm getting there. I... Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. I'll read them again in a little bit, but we'll just start out by reading these two verses. These are written in red. If you have a words of Christ in red in your New Testament, uh, words of Jesus. And he makes this statement. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Did Jesus say that? Did he mean it? Today I want to talk to you about questions. There's good questions and there's bad questions. But a good question can change your life. And a good question is something that will take you places. It'll open doors for you. It's, uh, it's like a, a, a key that unlocks treasures. And uh, asking good questions. I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily to someone, but to yourself even. Just asking those questions, it can, it can, a good question can free you from a wrong mindset. And, uh, and it can actually set you on a path of wholeness and, and uh, abundant living. And you got to understand that we are defined as people, as a person, by the questions that we ask. You ever notice how children are just filled with questions? They're young and they're just, they're always asking questions. And sometimes if we're not careful as adults, we'll get worn out with that. And just, we don't want them to ask the question. But, but I'm trying to get you to see that that's how God made us. God created us to be curious and to, to ask those questions. And when we stop asking questions... As, as adults, that's when we stop growing. And religion tends to discourage you from asking questions. Uh, you got to understand this, that the hallmark of a healthy relationship is the ability to ask questions without fear. Just to ask any question. It may, you know, uh, and, and all of us have been exposed in one way or another to, to religion in one form or another. Uh, and religion simply is the universal quest for self-improvement. And, and I just want to say this to you, that Jesus did not leave heaven, come to earth to start a new religion called Christianity. Uh, now some of you want to understand this, and I don't, and I'm, and I'm, you know, and I, I pick my wars, okay? But there's really no place in the new, in other words, you don't want to go to a Muslim nation and say, would you like to be a Christian? That kind of phraseology is only used in American Christian culture. Uh, a Muslim don't want to be a Christian because Christians have been killing Muslims and Muslims have been killing Christians since the Dark Ages. And so that's not, they're not open to that. But if you was to ask a Muslim, do you want to know God? Do you want to know about Jesus? Then you would get a different answer than would would you ask them, do you want to be a Christian? And, and so that's not my, my point. Uh, I'm going to let you be seated because I don't want to break the flow. But my, my point is this, and, and it's not to go on a tear and try to stamp out our use of the word Christian. I use it. If somebody says, are you a Christian? I, I say, yes, I'm a, I'm a Christian. In our vernacular today, a Christian means to be like Christ is what we say it means. But in its origin, in the Bible, it meant little Christ, little Jesuses. And it was a derogatory, negative term. It was an insult to be called a Christian. And, but yet we read the Bible in such a way that we think that that's it. No, no, you know, nobody ever called themselves or were instructed, no apostle to ever call anybody Christians. You say, well, I thought the Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. They were called that. They were, called, they were called little Christ, and it was, a, it was a negative thing. Remember when 
Paul stood before, he had to go before Agrippa and Felix. One of those rulers mocked him and said, are you trying to now at this point to persuade me to be a Christian? It was a mocking thing. And then Paul, the word's only used three times. I've just mentioned two of them. And the last time it found it in the New Testament, he said, Paul said to the church, he said, listen, if any of you are suffering as being Christians, he, he said, do it as a good soldier. In other words, they were being mocked. It was a derogatory thing. Jesus didn't come. God didn't send Jesus to come and, and offer on the plate of religions of the world another choice of Christianity. Let me make this statement. God is not a Christian. God's not a Christian. Now, you want to understand this, and I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just trying to get you to think. God's not a Christian. God's not white. God's not black. God's not a man. God's not a woman. If I say something that ain't right, y'all just let me know, okay? God's not a Democrat. God's not a Republican. God's not saved because he's never been lost. God is a spirit, John 4. God is a spirit. Yet God has hands and a face and a body, and Jesus came to put a body on the invisible God. The God they knew in the Old Testament was the one that spoke from Mount Sinai, and he thundered and lightning, and it was frightening. And they told Moses, we don't want to go back to church out there anymore. You go talk to this God and come tell us what he says. Jesus came to put a face on God, to put hands and feet, a God that could be seen and touched. They asked Jesus one time, show us the Father. Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Bible teaches us, Paul taught us that he is the exact representation of the invisible God. Jesus is not different from the Father. He is the Father in the flesh. He is God with us, Emmanuel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, but the Word became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. We beheld his grace and glory in the face of Jesus. And so religion is kind of like shut up and follow the rules. Uh, religion is that universal attempt to make yourself acceptable to the deity, to God. But grace is totally different from that. Grace is not a bunch of rules for you to keep. Uh, it's, it's not the grease that greases the cogs of, of self-effort. Uh, grace is a person. You, you know that here. I say that often. Grace is a person, and that person is living his life through you, and his name is Jesus. Grace is not a six-week teaching. Grace is not something that we talk about every now and then. Uh, grace is what saved you. Did Jesus save you? Jesus is grace. The Bible says we are saved by what? Grace through what? Faith. That's how you're saved. And yet the church, and I don't mean this in derogatory, it's just a, it's just the truth. I never heard one sermon in, in two decades about grace, not one. Never heard a sermon on it. And yet we are saved by grace. In our church we sang Amazing Grace almost every Sunday, but nobody ever seemed to be amazed. And when the preachers that I sat under spoke of the word or used the word grace, it was always in a negative connotation. You know, don't think you're going to slide into heaven with greasy grace, cheap grace. And it made me kind of look at grace tinted and painted. Uh, a lot of people know that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer, Brother Dale. Yes, he is. But they just don't know what the question is. They know Jesus is the answer. They don't know what the question is. And what I mean by that is that they know Jesus is the answer on how do I get saved? How do I go to heaven? 
They, they know that. But what they don't know is that he's the answer to every other area in their lives. Every area. You can't name an area that he's not the answer to. He's the answer to your marriage problem, to your financial problem, to your physical problem, to your mental problem, to your emotional problem. You can't, you can't think of an area that he's not the answer to. When I first began to get what I would say is the revelation of God's amazing grace, then... Uh, it also caused me to have a lot of questions because I had been indoctrinated in a lot of things over several decades of being a Christian. And uh, I'd been taught a lot of things. And every week of my life, and, and I don't mean talking this past few days with church folks, so, so to speak, however they were church folk, but in my, what I do and help, seniors with their Medicare needs and stuff, I, I, I have conversations with people. And, and it breaks your heart. I talked to a man Friday that said, my daughter is dying of cancer. She has liver cancer. It's on her spine. She's frail. She was vibrant, full of life, and now she can barely move. 34 years old. He said, but, you know, Brother Dale, God's in control. God knows what he's doing. And he believes that. So what he's saying is that he believes that the root of that, his daughter laying there suffering, somehow that's the will of God. God has a purpose and a plan. See, some people think like that you got to die so maybe your family members will, you know, straighten up and quit killing one another and fighting one another and come to church and, you know, be right and do right. Let me tell you, the only person that needed to die for you and your family to get saved was Jesus, and he's already done that. And, and, and nobody else's death is going to amount to anything. That's not, you, nobody's saved by you dying. I mean, don't get confused. Like people might get around your deathbed and their hearts get open and soft and decide they're going to go to church and, and they end up getting born again, but don't think God had nothing to do with that. It just took that hard head, that you know, something like that to get their attention. But God wasn't behind that. Talked to a lady yesterday. Or really, she talked to me. <laughs> My wife heard me. This lady, I had her on speaker. I was walking around her. And there's, you know, there's so many things where people, you know, they're, they're taught these things. And it's good sometimes to question. And when I started really seeing God's grace, it made me question about, you know, some verses. Because I've been studying the Bible for a long time. I was already preaching the Bible. And, 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 I, and these, some of these verses would would come to me, you know, and, and, and you still hear people say things, you know, like, and I don't have time to go in all of them, and, and maybe I, I'm not going to get through with this today. Maybe we can talk about it again next Sunday. But, you know, like the verses in Revelation in, in, in where Jesus is speaking to the churches. There's seven actual literal physical churches in Asia Minor. And the last one, the last one he addressed was the church of Laodicea. And, and he does make a statement in that conversation with that church. You know, he said that I, I would that you'd be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. The New King James Version actually says vomit. You know, I'll vomit you out. And, and I sat under preacher where preachers would say, you know, you make God sick. <laughs> you know, they'd say, if you're lukewarm, God, you make God sick. And he wants to vomit you out. And, you know, they'd just beat the daylights out of us with them verses. And you're just sitting there just getting whooped on, you know, and, and it makes you quit. Well, you know, I make God sick. They say, you, be on, you need to be on fire for God. <laughs> you need to be on fire for God. But yet he said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Either or, but because you're lukewarm. Now, he's speaking to a specific church, and sometimes you want to take a verse like that and just make that, you know, uh, applicable to everybody. This is not the church of Laodicea. This is the church of Grace Point. And yes, we, you know, all scripture's written for you, but not, not all scripture's written to you. Right? 
And so when I first began to, to see this thing, you know, when God's talking about that, he's talking about, the, 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 you know, yeah, Laodicea, if you read when he said that, I, you know, I, I spit you out of the mouth, I'd rather be hot or cold. He said, because you say, because you say, you, you this Laodicean church, you say you are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. What they said was, we don't need Jesus. We don't need God. We got our money. We don't need anything. God said that makes him sick because you're rejecting the very thing. He, he said, and you, you, you said you say you don't need anything, but you don't know you're poor, blind, miserable, wretched, and naked. You cannot see the state, the condition that you're in. And that's why God gave us the law. So when I would read things, you know, grace, if it teaches anything, the grace of God, the word of God, teaches us that we are totally, eternally forgiven by the blood of Jesus shed on that cross. He took away the sin of the world. I was talking to a lady yesterday. She said, I want to ask you a question. Because, you know, sometimes through the conversation, I don't go out wearing a sticker and, and I don't use it. But it comes up that, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus. She said yesterday, she said, Brother Dale, you believe that, you know, that you can lose your salvation. And I'm, 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 you know, and I know I got a 50-50 shot of making her mad. Because <laughs> I really don't know her well enough to know what, you know, what she wants me to say. But I have to just, I just kind of, no ma'am, I don't. I don't believe you can lose it. I said, Jesus said that when we're born again, he gives you eternal life. And eternal means forever. That ain't temporary life based on what you do. She said, you know, that's what I believe too. But our preacher said that you can lose it. I said, well, your preacher's wrong. Because when God made you into a new creation and you're born again, I said, you can still act like a sinner, but you're not good at it anymore. And you won't enjoy it for over the long haul. And so I would read these verses. I would read verses like that I read for you today already. I would read like in Matthew 18. This one was really used on us a lot. And Jesus in that latter part of Matthew 18, he's telling a parable about the unforgiving servant. And he was forgiven of a lot and therefore he should, you know, reciprocate that. But he didn't forgive another man that owed him far less. And so Jesus says at the end of Matthew 18, he says, he says now, he's teaching about unforgiveness. And he says now, take this man here that won't forgive and turn him over to the tormentors until he pays all that he owes. Remember that verse? And then the very last verse of Matthew 18, Jesus looks to the crowd he's teaching and he says, so shall my heavenly father do also this to you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses from your heart. And man, them preachers would take that verse. You ever heard of carrots and sticks? You do good, you get the carrot. You do bad, you get the stick. And that's a stick verse. When you get a bully with a Bible, buddy, you got you something. And they took that verse and they would say, God will turn you over all you people out here with unforgiveness in your heart. And you, you know, and don't just say forgive them. He said, Jesus said, you got to forgive from your heart. None of this fake mess. And they said, that's why you're being tormented. God's turned you over to the tormentor. And that's why you're tormented. And that's why you can't sleep. And that's, man, you're just out there just getting beat, beat. And the guy's using the Bible to do it. And it hurts and it's confusing. I've read the verse that I read through you in Matthew 6 before. I mean, one day I read it in here. And, and as soon as the service was over, a, a guy walked up, an, an older gentleman. He walked up and he said, Patrick, can I talk to you a second? I said, sure. He said, I just told a guy yesterday and read him that verse in Matthew 6 and told him that he had to forgive this person who had wronged him or God wouldn't forgive him. And most of them would go on and add other things that the Bible doesn't even say. Like, he won't hear your prayer. And you're cut off. And you're out of fellowship. Now, y'all know y'all have heard this stuff. And, 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 and I said, well, brother, you need to go back and find that fellow you told that to and tell him you was wrong. He said, but Jesus said it. I said, I know he did. But what you got to understand is Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and on into 7 is preaching a very long sermon. 
It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of like his inaugural sermon, really, to the Jews. And, and, and in this teaching, he, 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 is, he is presenting one of the most eloquent deliveries of a law message ever, ever preached. If I was to ask you who is the greatest law preacher, preacher of the law, who ever lived, your answer should be Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ in that sermon is preaching the law. And he is doing this prior to going to the cross. Now there's a teaching that goes around and they don't use this maybe phrase, you know, some do. But it's called partial forgiveness. Uh, in other words, uh, and, and it sounds wacky and crazy. That, but, but, okay, yeah, they'll go, sure, Jesus forgave us at the cross. But, Brother Dale, but to stay forgiven, we need to forgive other people like the Bible says. And we need to keep confessing our own sins and do stuff like that. And, and the implication is, and a lot of times it's didactically spoken and taught, that if we fail to do these things and we fall out of relationship or fellowship, they will use with God. You're out of fellowship. You need to, you need to, you know, put that sin under the blood. You ever heard that one? You need to put that under the blood. You can't put your sin under the blood. There's no Bible for that. When you sin, there's not a fountain full. When they go back and dip it, I don't care what song you sung. Jesus did not cover sin. He eradicated it. He removed it. He took it away. And there's verse after verse that says that. So when people begin to come at you with these verses, the, the, the argument usually boils down, in my opinion. And see, like all the blogs pretty much that I have ever written, it's pretty much just me trying to answer questions that people send me. Because, see, they, 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 just, they can type it in the computer and send it. So they don't have to look at my face to see how weird I look when, you know, with the question. They can ask questions and be brave and just ask the question, and I encourage you to do that. I mean, if you've got a question that you're, in other words, you, you hear the grace of God, and yet there's a verse like, whoa, what does that mean? I, I mean, how's that? And I get people that don't even come to church here. I'll be sitting around my wife in the phone, and, he, and here comes a, a text in or something. Or, you know, what about this? Or, what <laughs> and that don't mean I know all the answers. But, but see, whatever kind of lens you read the Bible through, in other words, if you read the Bible through any other lens than the amazing grace of God, you're going to have a problem with it. The biggest confusion you're going to have is because you've read the Bible. <laughs> Your Bible is going to confuse the daylights out of you. And I, and I know I've mentioned this before, and some, some have heard it, some have not. But again, the New Testament doesn't begin in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The New Testament does not begin until the testor, Jesus the wheel maker dies. You can't get the wheel until they're dead. You just have to hang on. Okay? And somebody said, well, Jesus did a lot of good stuff. And I've told you this example before. When my kids were small, sometimes I would accompany my wife to the grocery store with them, which usually wasn't pretty. And I'm talking about when they're little and they're riding the buggy. And, you know, you got them in the little front with their feet hanging out and stuff. And, and uh, you know, and so we had three. So that would be like. I remember several times, and you, I'm not joking, she's, I mean, I'm telling you, I'd be holding one of them, and, and, you know, and I'd be like holding Austin, and I would just always, because they're just like, even though they're three, it feels like you got 30. It's like a herd. You're trying to herd cats. You know what I'm saying? It's just, and I remember, I remember being in different places at times, and I'd say, where's Austin? She said, you're holding him. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I've literally done that. And sometimes we'd be in the grocery store and they're hungry, you know, and that's the last place you want to carry a kid because food's everywhere. And, I, you know, and I guess they still allow that. You know, I'm older now, but in that, you know, we'd, we would just reach and get them something off the shelf, you know, and open it up and let them eat it. Just, here, eat this, shut up. <laughs> and, and we haven't paid for it yet, right? But we let them eat it, and they will devour whatever it was, and I would just hang on to the bag, the wrapper that's got the barcode. And nobody ever stopped us, and nobody ever got on to us, or nobody ever said, that's illegal, that's wrong, you haven't paid for that. Nobody. And people that worked there would see us doing that. Because they knew before I left, I'm going to hand that bag, and that woman or man's going to scan that, and I'm going to be good. Once Jesus got on, on deck, 
He went ahead and started distributing the healings and the power and blessing and salvation because before he left, he was going to pay it in full. Come on, somebody. He did. He paid it in full before he left here. And, 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 and Jesus loved his kids so much, he didn't make them wait. That's why when he, they lowered the man in through the roof, Jesus said, your sins are, not will be, he's are forgiven you. He was going to pay the bill before he left. And, and, and so it normally boils down to about three places that people want to argue with you about. And, and one of them is that Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus said that. He said, if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Now, a lot of people are taught in churches that you need to really focus on the words in red because if you just stay, and I've had people tell me this, and people write this, and you can Google it, and it's on Facebook, and on, you know, you know, stay close to the words in red. The words in red mean more. Well, first off, that's just a man that came up with that to, in, you know, to do that. God didn't say, well, be sure to write that in red ink now. The Bible is the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. It's all powerful. It's all beneficial to us. But you understand that Jesus was born under the law, Galatians says, to redeem those that were under the law. And so Jesus is preaching the law to those who claim to be living by the law. And Jesus is, is preaching uh, this Sermon on the Mount, and, and he started out with the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, and he finished uh, stressing the need you know, to forgive others. And, and, and Jesus said things like this. He, now, he's talking to these Jews He's preaching to them, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, see, that don't really mean that much to us now, but when these Jews heard this, because the Pharisees were the most righteous people on earth, they fasted, they made long public prayers, they wore certain clothes, they did all these things, and, 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 and they were the most righteous, holy people perceived uh, by the Jews of their, of their day. And Jesus said, unless you're more righteous than these guys, you're not going to heaven. And then he, the very last verse of Matthew 5, and he, he says, he drops this, you know, this, this truth bomb on them. He, done, he hit them with that, you know, a few verses up, and they're, they're, they're staggering from that. And now he says, be ye perfect, even as your heavenly Father is also perfect. In other words, he said, be perfect, and how perfect you must be is perfect as God. And if you're not as perfect as God, you're not going to heaven. That's not the message you hear in churches today. What do you hear in the American church? Oh, nobody's perfect, Brother Dale. Come to our church. It's full of non-perfect people. We're just non-perfect people. Come be non-perfect with us. <laughs> That's, that, 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 that is a very popular thing. Come to us. And, and, and you're sitting there right now, some of you, some of you, you know, you're going, well, we're not perfect. Thank you for telling me that. I thought we were. If you found a perfect church and joined it, it would be imperfect then. Because none of us are perfect. Not in our behavior. Not in what we display of the kingdom. None of us. Especially the guy holding the mic today. Okay. I get that. I know that. But that has been so pushed into our thinking that it, 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 it steers us away from what the words of Jesus said. He said, be perfect. Perfect. And so I, so I write a blog that says, good people don't go to heaven, only perfect people go to heaven. And I get piled on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What? But see, they don't need, they don't even smart enough just to wait and read the thing. They just start attacking right out the gate. Yeah, it, you got to be perfect to go to heaven. You got to make 100. 70 is not passing. If you make a 99, you're still going to hell. How's that? You got to make 100. God don't grade on the curve. God don't go, oh, well, I know your heart. You tried hard. Come on in. You're not going to go to heaven because you tried hard, because you did good deeds. You were benevolent. You were sacrificial because you was good to your mama. 
because you paid your bills, because you didn't kill nobody. You're not going to heaven for none of them reasons. You're going to go to heaven because you have been born again. And, 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 and you are 100% perfect because the perfect one has imparted his perfection into you. And, and, and you are perfected, Hebrew said, forever. You have been perfected forever by the perfect sacrifice of the perfect Savior with the perfect blood. And, 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 and it's been accredited to you. See, what Adam did in the garden, he sinned and rebelled against God and his failure was added to you because you are of the seed of Adam. Right? And everybody can kind of go, I believe you that, I know that man, that Adam. If he wasn't for him, we'd still be naked naming bugs and eating grapefruit. Everybody knows what Adam and Eve did is on you. And you go, well, that ain't fair. I ain't the one to eat that apple or whatever it was. I didn't do that. Why am I? That ain't fair really, is it? But it happened. You are the seed handed to you. So what God did is he sent another Adam, a better Adam, a stronger Adam. He's called the last Adam because he ain't going to send another one. He ain't the second Adam. Because if he sent a second Adam, there could be a third one on the way. But there ain't a third one coming. He sent the last Adam. See, that's what the first Adam did to you. But then he sent the last Adam in. And that last Adam faced every temptation and test but did not fail. That last Adam was obedient even to the point of death on the cross. And everything that that last Adam did, see, you're, you're, you're going to go to heaven based on your location. You either in Adam still, you on your way to hell, or you are in Christ in the last Adam and you on your way to heaven. See, one, it's one of the two. And I, I know I've done this before, but I like it and I'm in charge and I'm going to do it again. So here we go. Here's Adam. I, I like this one here. Okay. I knew it was going to do that. And here's Christ. See how pretty that one is? All right, so this is what God did. You was in Adam. You was born in Adam, born in sin. You're not, you didn't sin, but you weren't called a sinner because you sinned. You were, you were called a sinner because you were made a sinner by what Adam did. By the disobedience of the one man, Adam, many were made sinners. Romans 5, read it, check it out. You were made a sinner. Therefore, what you do, you sin because that's what sinners do. You were in Adam, but God reached in, took you out, of Adam and he put you in Christ he put you in Jesus so he could treat you like Jesus he put you in Jesus so everything that Jesus had is now yours you are a joint heir with Christ Jesus when God looks at you he don't see you he don't see your past. He don't see your old you. He don't see, God didn't save you by putting a paint job on the old you. He killed off the old you on the cross with his son, and he born up a new person in Christ Jesus. How did you get, how, listen, how did you get in Adam? You were born in the flesh as a human in Adam. How did you get in Christ? You were born again in the spirit in Jesus Christ. You were born again, and God put you there. Now, God's not going to get mad at you and, give, and reach in there and snatch you out. You in, you in. When they went into the ark, Noah and them eight souls, eight is the number of a new beginning. So when Noah went into that boat, he went into the ark. He, he, he went in and God shut the door, the Bible says, and sealed him in. When that ark was built, it was built out of gopher wood. Keisha would. And God used something called pitch, it says in Genesis. And Noah used this pitch, it's like tar, and he sealed that boat where that, that, that water could not get inside that boat. And, 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 and so it said that when he went in, God didn't say, Noah, get in the ark. The Bible said when, when, when everything was done, God said, Noah, Come into the ark. Because that ark is God. That ark is Jesus. That ark had three floors. 
the way, the truth, and the life. That ark had one way in only, and it was in the side. When that first Adam was put to sleep in the garden, God reached in his side, pulled out his wife. When that last Adam was put to death on the cross, they opened up his side and God reached in and pulled out the church, his wife, the Christ, the bride. When God said, Noah, you and your family, I'll come into the ark. And it said, God closed the door and sealed them in. God did it. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. God did it. And the judgment waters were released. But the judgment waters never touched the people that was inside the ark. God, when he puts you in Christ, the judgment of God will never touch you. Because Jesus has borne that judgment on the cross. He's already borne it. He's already paid it. Talked to somebody this week and they were talking about how God was paying them back for something that they'd done. And, and they were suffering and, and, and they were suffering because of their promiscuous life in the past. And I said, that's a lie. I said, either Jesus paid it or he didn't. Either Jesus took away the sin of the world, which included yours, or he did not. And if he did not take away the sin of the world, he's got to come back and take it away. See, this is where you get back to that partial forgiveness. Well, yeah, he forgave you now, but now you got to, here to come with the rule book. And they just removed grace. Why was Jesus preaching the law to those people, to those Jews? Because the Pharisees had watered down the law and diluted the power of, uh, of the law to silence the mouth, it says, of self-righteous men. The law is to, is to cause you to just, you know, the law is intended to break that, that human pride and, that, and to reveal our need for a Savior. Galatians 3.24 says that the law, Paul said, was our tutor, our tutor that brought us to Christ. In other words, the law is like the bus driver. Once he delivered you at school, you don't need him no more. And see, boy, you start talking about law and people are quiet enough because they, you know, oh, we don't, we don't need the Ten Commandments today. No, not once you're born again, you don't. No, you don't. You ever read Romans 10, 4? Christ is the end of the law to them, for righteous to them that believe. In other words, if you believe, Christ is the end of the law for you. You don't need the law. And the law has done its job. It brought you to Jesus. It puts you out right there at Jesus, and you went in Christ. It's, it's accomplished what it was sent to do. See, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus announced that he had come to fulfill the law, and then he proceeded to preach that law. He said, now y'all say, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say that you, you've broken the law if you've ever looked at a person and lusted. That made everybody an adulterer. He said, y'all said, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say, did any of you that's ever hated anybody you're a murderer. That made everybody there listening a murderer. So now we're preaching to murderers and adulterers. And, and, and what's that to do? And then he hits them with them bombs. You got to be more righteous than the Pharisees. And then you got to be perfect as God. Now what would you be thinking once you're hearing, hearing all of that? You, you know, how, how would you feel? And, you know, uh, you would feel like I'm in trouble. I need some help. I need a savior. I need somebody to save me. I need to be born again. See, Jesus was just trying to get them in the kingdom. He, he was declaring, see, listen, the law is holy. It is righteous. It is good. Listen, but it has no power to make you holy, righteous, or good. Paul said in Romans 8, in what the law could not do in that the law was weak through flesh. God did by sending his son and he condemned sin in the flesh of his son, Jesus Christ. The law was weak, not because the law, God, but, the, but because the flesh couldn't keep them rules. The law was weak. The law was like a mirror. You can get in a big, it's like a mirror with a, with a hundred magnifying glass. How do you like them? You, you look at him, ladies sometimes, and me and I cheat sometimes, look too now, well, I can see stuff, you're looking at 10 times magnification. My dog, I'm getting old. <laughs> You'd be looking, you know, you know and uh, you're looking in that mirror. 
And the mirror is like the law. It has the ability to point out all your flaws, all your sin, all your shortcomings, but it can't fix none of them. You don't get in the mirror and go, oh, man, oh, ooh. And the mirror goes, oh, I got that for you. Let me fix No, the mirror don't do nothing. It just, it, just, it just magnifies your problems. It just shows you, yeah, you ugly. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. No, I'm just teasing now. You ain't ugly. You're beautiful. It just it shows you all the problems. It shows you, oh, oh, the blemishes, oh, the wrinkles, oh, my God. Look at hair growing out of there. How, when did that happen? going to find out when you start getting older, boy, your, your body goes on steroids producing hair. You'll be, you'll be looking like whoop, hair coming out your ear, hair coming out your nose. <laughs> and then you're too old to see how to even cut it out there. You'll be snipping your own nose and cutting your ear lobes off. It's, 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 it's not fun. I was a teenage boy. My granddaddy used to, I used to, I remember one time he said, just always, I remember, he just said, son, you listen to me. He said, growing old ain't for wimps. I, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. I do now. I know. But see, Jesus was preaching pure, unadulterated law, and 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 it was it, the whole point of it was to lead us to Jesus. Now, now an, another argument that folks use is in in Second Peter. He Second uh, Peter one and nine. Peter refers to being forgiven from our, and he uses this phrase, old sins. And I see preachers and all, they'll take that, or sometimes you just read in the Bible and you see it and you go, wait a minute. And if you're not careful, the implication is that, that our present uh, sins and our future sins have not been dealt with yet. He's just talking about our old sins. If you read in the New International Version, it actually says our past sins. Uh, and, and so what, what Peter's talking about here is, is, is listen, when, when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't say it is half finished. He did not cry out and say it's almost finished. He didn't say it's 90% finished. He, he said it is finished. And, 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 and so what that means is that God doesn't do half jobs. See, everything that needed to be done to meet the demands of justice was accomplished through the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's what Hebrews 9.26 teaches us. Hebrews chapter 9, let me read verse 25. Hebrews 9.25 and 26. It, it says, not that he should offer himself often. Now what God's doing is he's comparing the Levitical priesthood who was going in there continually offering sacrifices of animals for sin. To the once and once and for all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And it says that the high priest would enter the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He said, but if Jesus, had to, if Jesus was like that, then he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, everybody say once. Once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away. What did he do? He put away what? Sin. How did he do it? By the sacrifice of what? Himself. He put away sin. He, he done away with it. It's a simple truth, but, 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 but believers just don't get this. They, they just don't get it. So Peter writes that the main reason that Christians don't mature is because they have forgotten that they have been cleansed from their past life, that their past life is not their deal. That's what he's trying to say to them. And, and so their knowledge of Jesus, what he accomplished, uh, is, is not. they just don't have the revelation of it. And, and it makes them ineffective. It makes them unproductive. They, they live powerless lives. They're always trying to deal with something that God's already dealt with. And see, you got to understand, we've been reconciled to God. And in and, and 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I showed you we have been born again. We haven't been made better. We've been born again. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And uh, so, so what brings forgiveness? What causes God to forgive people? Is it you crying and quoting and praying and saying? No. The Bible says what brings forgiveness is the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. And, and as Jesus bled and died on the cross, the Bible says in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, God canceled out the law that was written against us. He canceled it out. And he forgave us all our sin. Now, you were forgiven, you, you, you hear me say this often, but you were forgiven 2,000 years ago, right? In other words, I just proved to you by the Bible that the only way God forgives is by the shedding of blood. The last time Jesus shed his blood was over 2,000 years ago. Now, how many of your sins and mine were future then? 
So see how, see how ridiculous it is to be a believer today and say, God, don't forgive a future sins. Because every sin that he's ever forgiven you of was future when Jesus died on the cross. So it's just, it's just ridiculous to, 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 to do that. I've got to move quickly. The third argument uh, that people use is they go to 1 John 1 and 9 where it seems to link forgiveness with confession. And, 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 and I could go into great detail and, and, and all about this, but how do we receive the free gift of forgiveness? You repent. Now, what does the word repent mean? Think differently. Okay? It don't mean cry a lot and tell God you're sorry. It means metanoia. Think differently. So repent and put your trust in Jesus. That's how you're, you know, you, you're thinking different about things now. Wait a minute. This, this is grace. I don't have to earn my way. I don't have to make myself acceptable to God. Well, I'll come to church, brother. Dale. I got to get some things together. You ain't never coming. You can't get yourself together. If you could get yourself together, we could worship you. John writes that if we confess our sins, First John one and nine, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? How much? Hmm. So, so some take this to mean, and they'll try to teach you. And, and listen. Right here in your whole New Testament is the only verse that people have. Thank you, brother. This is the only verse that people have for declaring that you have to confess your sins one by one or you're not forgiven. And, 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 they, and this is the only proof text. It's not really a proof text for that, but they claim it to be because it's the why, why is this one always trotted out? It's the only one they got. It's the only one they got. And if you read 1 John, he tells you over and over that you're totally forgiven already. But he's, he's talking to people who were Gnostics, really. That's what history proves that. In other words, they did not believe that sin even existed. So they would say there is no such thing as sin. And listen, by the way, and I don't have time to go in there, but when he says if, if you confess your sin, sin there is not a verb. It's a noun. That's, that's extremely important. They were saying the thing... This noun, this thing that y'all call sin doesn't exist. God said if you'd say sin doesn't exist, then you make me out a liar because that's why I sent my son. But if you'll just simply acknowledge that there is sin, not that you've done wrong and you need to, no, no. If you just acknowledge there is sin, then you can, then he's faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And, and that's all God's saying. John makes it clear that the blood of Jesus is the one thing that cleanses um, us, uh, us, and it's not our confession. And, and, and he said it purifies us. Now look in John chapter, 1 John 1 and verse 9, and, and you'll see that. It, it says it is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. And I want to tell you what the word all means in Greek. All. I want to tell you what all means in Spanish. All. All means all. And all includes past, present, and future sin. So when you're cleansed by Jesus, you are well and truly and thoroughly and eternally cleansed from all unrighteousness and all sin. Now, I'm about done. Listen, the Lord says, now let's settle the matter really clear. In Isaiah chapter 1 and, and, and verse 18, I want to read from different translations. He said, you are stained red with sin, but I will wash you as clean as snow. Although your stains are deep red, you will be white as wool. What the prophet was doing, Isaiah was prophesying of the, the day that Jesus would shed his blood to take away the sin of the world. And, you know, I've said over and over, John's not preaching a doctrine here in 1 John 1 and 9 of human confession, but he is, is preaching a doctrine of divine forgiveness. And every other writer in this New Testament that you hold in your lap is agreeing with John, and they, listen, they all go to great lengths to show us that divine forgiveness is a God thing from start to finish. If, if you respond to God uh, with, with a legalistic, law-based mind, you're going to try to look for some hole to poke into grace. When you sin, guess what? Hang on now. You're still forgiven. You're still forgiven because God already forgave you of it before you even did it. God's grace is greater than your sin. I believe one of the songs had that on the words today. My sin was strong, but God's love was greater.
We need to take it down if we don't believe it down. We sing it, we hear, we preach it here. Of course, you should not sin. Everybody got me quoted on that one? I encourage you not to sin. Don't do it. It hurts you and hurts others. Don't do it. It brings bad things into your life. Sinning can kill you physically. Don't do it. Okay? But even when you do it, you're still forgiven. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate that. Of course you shouldn't sin. And when you do, repent. Think differently about the sin. And, 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 uh, but be assured of this one thing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. Now, there's a lot of people in the religious world. And, man, we're, we're saturated with it here in the Bible belt buckle here. They try to put limits on God's forgiveness. They say that he withholds his forgiveness unless you do this and do A, B, and C. And, and they, you're out of fellowship. And they just make up all this stuff that ain't none of it in the Bible. And they scare the daylights out of people. And people will fight you. They will call me preaching the truth a heretic. Because they have heard that stuff and they have been threatened and they have been beat with that stick and fed an occasional carrot so much. That's all they know. And that's what breaks my heart. It breaks my heart for a man to think that God somehow is behind his daughter having cancer. Well, the Lord, my precious man that was rusty that was up here just a few weeks ago with us, precious daughter, I had to go preach the funeral and follow two preachers that said, God, don't make no mistake. Don't question him. He's too wise to make a mistake. In other words, just shut up, take it. God killed her. Don't worry about it. God didn't have nothing to do with her death. And here you go, right here. Wrong question. Well, couldn't God stop it? You mean, does he have enough power? Yeah. But if God's going to make people do stuff, I won't tell you what he's going to start making them do. Get born again. That, that's what he's going to start with. But he's not making nobody do anything because you have a will. You can pick and choose. And let me tell you something that don't happen to you. You don't lose your will after you're born again. In other words, you can still act like a heathen if you want to because of your unrenewed mind. And you can, you, you know, you, you, that's your choice. But it doesn't change what God did on the inside. Be true to what God did. If you're born again, live out of your spirit. Live out of, as many as are led by the spirit, that's the sons of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, Paul said, in him, who's him? Jesus. In him we have, not will have, we have redemption. How does it come? Through his blood. What does that look like? The forgiveness of sins. That's a noun. In accordance with the riches of God's grace. That verse so good, can I read it again? In him, in Jesus, we have, past tense, redemption. We've been redeemed. I've been redeemed, that's all. Through his blood. What, what, what did that blood do? The forgiveness of all sin. Okay? In accordance with the riches of God's grace. For, so for those that want to put a limit on God, then you would have to also put a limit on, on God's forgiveness. Then you would also in turn have to put a limit on the riches of God's grace. So I've asked before, is there a limit on the riches of of God's grace. Oh, no, Brother Dale. Then God says, that's how I have forgiven you. I have forgiven you according to the, to the riches of my grace. There's no limit to that. And there is no limit on God's forgiveness. God has, and I want, let me tell you something. But that's some good news I just dropped on you right there. That is some good news right there. There's no limit. And all this, well, you're out of fellowship. You need to do something to get back in. That's not in the Bible. It's in the church. It's in the mouth of many Christians. But it is not in the Bible. And many of us have grown up hearing about a God that is so foreign to the God of grace. See, when you preach the gospel of grace like Paul did as a preacher, you'll have to do the same defense of it like Paul did. They said, well, Paul, if what you're preaching then, we should, if God's grace then we should sin all the more. Paul said, God forbid. Should I sin that grace abound? God forbid. That's not what I'm saying. That's not, Paul said, that's not what I'm saying at all. 
I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that his grace, though, is super abundant. Where sin did abound, God's grace superabounded. The, the translation of that is hyperabounded. You better watch them hyper grace preachers. Hyper grace. Oh, so hyper grace. We can have, so there's a limit on grace. God is love. So why don't we preach it? What, 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 hyper love preachers. No, I'll tell you what you need to look out for. Them law preachers. Y'all ever seen Tombstone? Law don't go around here, bro. <laughs> That's a great movie. Law don't go around here. Law dog. <laughs> it don't go around here. The law was sent by God to lead me to Jesus. Once I have been placed in Christ, I no longer need to read the Ten Commandments every day. I, my goal is not to keep the law or try to live by the law. My goal is to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. And where is the Holy Spirit? He is in me. He was gifted to me. For the Holy Spirit's not only with me now, but He is in me. He's not convicting me of my sins. Like the church, oh, yes, now I sinned and the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. No, he didn't. Because the Holy Spirit's God. And God said, I will never remind you of your sin. Only the Holy Spirit is doing, he convicts the world of sin because they don't believe in God. That's what it says. That's what Jesus said he, the Spirit of truth, would do when he would come. He would convince, convict the world of sin because they don't know God. God. And he will use that sin to say, the law, this is God's standard. See how far from it you are? You need help. You got to be perfect. You got to be as righteous as God. You got to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. How you doing on that? Not good. I need help. Great. Here's the help. Jesus. He will give you his, he will gift you his righteousness. He will gift you his holiness. He will, he will impart all that's been credited to him by keeping the law. He didn't sidestep the law. He didn't, he fulfilled it. And now he puts that into your account and your account has a sin balance of zero. Your account has a 100% balance of righteousness and you have been perfected forever and you have been given eternal life through Christ Jesus who gave you his life. That's the good news. Come on, stand with me. And see, when you get that, it makes you want to headbutt the chair in front of you, but we ain't got them close enough for you to do that no more. Amen. Dave and Cheryl, precious people. Dave, can I get you to come up here and just back with? Am I talking to the right person? No, I'm not talking to the right person. Is Dave here? I thought I saw him a while ago. Dave, maybe they what? I don't know. Dave sent me, you know, J, we got JT up here last Sunday, didn't we? Didn't he do good? And uh, not only is he a great musician, he, he can speak well. And, and, uh, and, and I was so blessed by him. And I thought I saw uh, Dave and Cheryl. They also live in... Uh, Pinetta, where you guys live. And he, uh, so he listened to you, you know, exhort the church and encourage us. And, and uh, let me see if I can find it. And, and it, so, it so blessed me. Um, Y'all hang on, talk amongst yourselves. And I, I just wanted to, to just uh, share this with you. He, he, uh, he sent this to me, I guess it would have, must have been Monday. He said, I, uh, hi, Pastor Dale, I ho hope you guys are well. I, I was hoping to get uh, Pastor Johanna's address. You know, he won't send her a card. We're still praying for Pastor Johanna, and she's doing well. And, but he said, after, after hearing JT's testimony yesterday, it occurred to me that you may not realize how many more like him are out there. For every one of him there are probably several introverts that just sink out without a word. My wife and I moved to this area in 2017 and were discouraged at the number of legalistic pastors and fire and brimstone sermons. 
they were beautiful white buildings, but hell inside. That's his words. Uh, we had many YouTube church services. He says, then we found Grace Point. Your perspective and messages are a breath of fresh air in life. Thank you. Never doubt the impact you have is bigger than you know and growing. Keep up the good work and have a great day, Dave Beckwith. And his wife is Cheryl. Amen. And I, and I, I, uh, I thought I'd saw them a while ago. Sometimes these columns, uh, people hide behind them. But the, the uh, I think they lived in Tampa, if I remember correctly, and, and lived down there many years in that big city. And uh, and they just found, I think they just kind of looked around, he said, and they found uh, Pinetta, Florida. And they just said, man, that looks like a cool place. And well, they wanted to be, and I said, well, they wanted to be different in Tampa. I said, well, I'm sure that's different, different in Tampa, you know, because I, I know Tampa pretty well. And, um, but uh, he said, we love it there. We just love it. We, 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 that's what we wanted. And uh, he, he's, uh, he works for FedEx and got transferred up here where he could just, you know, have, a, have the life that he wanted. And, and they looked all over and they found, found us. And, and I don't say that to brag on me or brag, but, but, but I do say that to, to, to magnify what the guy's saying. Listen, there are so many people out there that just simply don't know. They're tired of getting beat up. Listen, this world does a good job of beating up on you on its own, don't it? It does. And, and just because you're born again don't mean you're gonna, every day it's going to be hallelujah, glory to God. Let's, you know, mm -mm. It just ain't. And, and uh, you know, I mean, we, we just have problems. You know, my wife called me yesterday, and I was out working on, on Saturday. You can believe that? And, and I was coming back in, and, you know, and, and, you know, it just wasn't going great. You know, things. <laughs> and she said, you know, you went to the doctor the other day, and, and uh, you know, I've been doing this for years, and I didn't realize my doctor had farmed out, I, I use that expression, the, the lab services now. He'd always had his own nurses doing it. Well, who, who they're using now ain't in my network. So that little blood drawing is $450. They said, do now. I'm like, that ain't fair. That ain't right. They should have informed me. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's just little stuff, really. But, you know, it's like, man, that's like, my wife said, that's like burning the $500. <laughs> Didn't you, baby girl? That's burning $500. What she don't know is when I walked into my office this morning here at church, a person had sent me a card. And in the card had wrote a note that they felt to send this, and in the card was a check for five hundred dollars. <laughs> and I, I, I here it go. <laughs> Come on here, baby girl. You go on and pay that drugstore bill or whatever that is. Now I said that to brag on Jesus. Now y'all might think that's coincidence, but I'm too old. That's that's my papa. That's my papa looking at his boy. <laughs> God just, you know, and when, when I, I was standing back here in my office, I go, and I opened that up. I couldn't help but my eyes fill up with tears a little bit. And that's where I always just say to him, I said, man, if you was right here, God, I'd kiss you right in the mouth. You know, just love him. He, he's going to take care of us. He's going to supply all of, all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And it may not come that quick. Most time it doesn't, to be honest with you. But he always comes through. And it may not come that way. You know, I don't know how many times I prayed for, you know, armor truck to turn over in my yard and spill all the money and say, ah, we don't want to clean that up. Just keep it. <laughs> you know, kind of a deal. But, but God's for you. I, I know it's cliche, I guess. But I never get tired of saying it. And I hope you don't get tired of hearing it. God loves you. We, we sung another song this morning that God didn't want heaven without you. He refused it, right, to have heaven without you. So he sent his son, and he's for you. We can make bad decisions and cause our own selves a lot of problems, and I've done that. I try not to do as many of them as I used to do because I'm older now, and I've learned a little bit, and I'm still learning. But God's grace never changes, and it never fades away, and it never goes away, and God doesn't marginalize you or minimize you. God cares about you, and if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to him. He said, I want you to know that this is how much I know about you. All the hairs on your head are numbered. 
that don't mean that God says, I know you got 10,000 hairs. God says, I know one hair number five falled out when you was combing your hair this morning. And you don't know yourself that good. God's just trying to illustrate a point that I know you that well. And the reason, and a person that would know you that well, to study you that well, is a person that cares about you. And God is a God who can be touched by the feelings of our weaknesses, our infirmities. And he's a God that loves you and he cares for you. And if you'll ask the questions to yourself and maybe even to him, why, you know, God, what about this? What about, God's going to give you some answers. Well, God, why is this person blessed over here? Seem like an Ask the question. God's not afraid of the question. God's real secure in whom he is. Okay? And you don't have to be afraid. And just like when I read Dave's little email that he sent me Monday after hearing JT, guys, out here in this world, COVID or no, okay, I'm not minimizing that. I'm just simply saying there are a ton of people that so desperately need to hear the message of God's grace. I had a person this week say, well, why, isn't that church you used to be called? So why didn't you change the name? I said, I changed the name to line up with the message. It may, maybe that name would catch people's attention, that this is where the, we call it Grace Point because, and it's not just having a little saying, but it, the, the, the point is grace. That, that, that is the point. That's why people, if they're saved by grace through faith, then that's what we need to be talking about. We need to be sharing, telling, preaching, proclaiming, printing, blogging, writing, Facebooking the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That will God's not worried about your sin or how bad a boy or girl you are. God just wants you to believe in him. He's done took care of your sin problem. You just don't know it, and the church won't let you know it. But God's already done that, and all he wants you to do is put your faith in the Savior, Jesus. Trust him for your righteousness, perfection. Everything you need is in him. And then live your life and grow in the knowledge of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus that surpasses human knowledge. And enjoy the trip. Enjoy the ride. I love you. God bless you. Wave at somebody. Wave at your neighbors and tell them, welcome to Grace Point. We love you guys.